This is the day the Lord has made. Amen. The sermon for this 12th Sunday after, the, after Trinity is according to St. Mark's Gospel. It's nice to hear that one of the gifts, one of the mercies, one of the healings Jesus had on that man, we think that curing him from being deaf was the big one. But think about this. Upon the word of Christ, upon the mercies of God, this man was able to speak plainly. Tell me there isn't a greater gift in conversation than being with someone who speaks plainly. Where you're not going, did he mean that? I I mean, he said good morning, but was it like, good morning? Or was it like, good morning or good morning? Speak plainly. What do you mean? Well, it meant good morning. Thank you, by the way. Because that's what I meant when I said good morning. Was in my hope that your morning would indeed be good. And God, and I've got to tell you, I love it when we have a baptism because the Bible speaks very plainly about this. The Bible is not tied up and broken and sinful. It speaks clearly and plainly. And I will add wonderfully, purely, in a blessed way about baptism. And the Bible always points us towards the gifts of Christ in both word and sacrament. Today's no different. In today's epistle, we hear St. Paul say that God, through the working of his word, has made you sufficient. Understood in repentant faith, this makes perfect sense to our ears. Because sometimes people just think of sufficient as being good enough. Raise your hand if on a daily basis you feel like you're good enough. Okay? That's what's so nice about the Bible speaking plainly because your old Adam's going, don't trust him. You are lousy. There's nothing good. You can't do it. You're not anything. And our, and our old Adam is going, you're, you're making sense. And the new man is saying, well, duh. But Christ indeed, in his own words, speaking plainly, has said otherwise. Then you see where I'm coming from there. Okay, we'll, we'll get him. We'll move on. But this is something that is understood only in repentant faith of those with the Holy Spirit that hear this word and trust it and believe it. See, there's nothing offensive or derogatory about being told you're sufficient. God has made you sufficient for salvation. Not just sufficient, because I am not sufficient to, let's say, have an amazing vertical game in basketball. Let's have a moment of honesty. He's talking about the good things that he brings you. And unto salvation, under the Lutheran favorite phrase category of simul justus et peccator, at the same time justified and a sinner, 
While I reside on this side of the resurrection, while I still wear the flesh of old Adam and oftentimes act like him, think like him, talk like him, I am at the same time both a sinner and a saint. I am justified. You are justified, redeemed by Christ. You are sufficient for salvation, and yet you're sinners. There you go. Bada bing, bada boom. I know that I could always be better. The good that I want to do, says St. Paul, I do not do, and the evil I don't want to do, I keep on doing. St. Paul's got us figured out. I'm sufficient for salvation, but I'm not perfect. Heck, I'm not even exemplary. (laughs) But is this what St. Paul is really just driving at here in, in, in 1 Corinthians? In a word, no. The whole saint and sinner thing is absolutely true, but that's not the total point that St. Paul is going for here. The Greek word that St. Paul uses here is hikanos. And you're like, gesundheit. We translate this as meaning sufficient, but it also carries with it another meaning, a meaning of greatness. This is why we look at the apparatus in our Greek textbooks. Because it gives you this fuller, richer understanding of the Bible, and it's amazing. Greatness or worthiness. Sufficient and worthiness, you often see them together, but worthiness always sounds better, even though in Greek they don't. They're the same. They're both amazing. In fact, the overwhelming majority of times this word is used in the New Testament is translated as great or greatness, i.e. great crowds. A great man, great power, etc. Both of these translations, greatness or worthiness, would make perfect sense in the light of justification, meaning salvation. By God's grace alone, though, is the only time it makes sense. If God isn't it, then you don't have this hikainos. We are not worthy in ourselves to claim anything coming from us, but our worthiness comes from God. That's where the old Adam likes to play tricks on you. He says, look at yourself. What's so amazing about you? And your old Adam looks in the mirror and goes, hmm. Maybe not a lot. Well, then maybe that's what you should judge it on then. The old Adam's going, yeah. And the new Adam's going, pipe down. Nobody asked you, old Adam. The worthiness comes from God. This leads to a very important question, though, a question many Christians with very good intentions, and where our grandparents all told us where that road leads, tend to overlook or ignore. And the question is, how? How is it that God makes you sufficient, great, worthy of salvation? Do you imagine like a rocky montage? Thank you for the three people that knew what I was talking about. Is it something that he's doing so you can do push-ups, run faster than Apollo Creed on the beach? Again, thank you, three people. The answer is simple. 
What is he doing? And I know all of you already, already know it. God works this great and mighty miracle by his means of grace. By the way he imparts, brings, delivers, hand delivers, cross delivers grace to you. And he does that in word and sacrament. Not by any other mystical experience, but truly by his word speaking plainly and by his sacraments properly understood. It's pretty amazing. So he brings it to us in word and sacrament. We see this at the very beginning with creation. In the beginning, what was there? Thank you, Confirmand. He says nothing, and he's right. The scotia, the darkness, the nothingness. There was nothing. Not a good foundation, not something, well, we can work with that. But there was nothing. God speaks his word, halagos, which St. John says he, Christ, and now there is everything. His word is performative. It does what it says it will do and not what you want it to do, but what it says it'll do. So God says, let there be dot, 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 and there is dot, 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 ellipses, if you're up to that. The performative, powerful, life-giving word has the power to reverse the curse, so to speak. We see this in our Old Testament lesson. We see it being spoken to us as Isaiah is there. God has promised that his word will reverse and transform the rugged mountainous forest of Lebanon and they will be a fruited plain that this word will give light and sight to the blind. The deaf will be able to hear this word. We see this promise coming to fruition in our gospel lesson, as I said before, as Jesus heals a deaf man whose tongue was bound out, was unable to speak. Christ speaks one word, Ephaphata, and then the bonds are broken. The ears are opened. The tongue is loosed. The performative word of God in action. And talk about performative. This same word of God took on flesh and went to the cross to suffer and die in your place. With one word, tetelestai, which translates roughly to it is finished, Jesus victoriously pronounced our victory over sin, death, and the devil. With that one word, the temple curtain tore from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. The earth quaked, mountains split and crumbled, and the dead rose to life. And all that was prophesied about the Messiah in that day. It has begun to take place at the cross. 
at the moment when God's promise of redemption was fulfilled. In our baptismal rite today, we hear some wonderful promises, even as Jesus calls out, and people love to call Matthew 28 the Great Commission. They forget it's about baptism. The Great Commission is baptize, make disciples baptizing them. It's not share the word of Jesus, it's make disciples baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching these people you have baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all that I have commanded you. So if you understand the Great Commission properly, then I'll keep calling it the Great Commission. But if it doesn't mean baptism for fallen and broken creatures, for fallen and broken sinners who need Jesus, who want the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is why we put the big candle by there, then I don't want anything to do with such a term. And Good Friday, as we see, is certainly not the end of the performative word is it? Three days later, the Christ who lay in the tomb did what? Rose again. That's good. Rose again. You guys say it all cool. I'm like, rose again. You're like, rose again. Oops. You guys got that cool voice today. He resurrected he, Christ and he appears to Mary and the other Mary and then to the apostles. They were hiding, remember? We always like to hearify the apostles, but come on, let's be honest. All right, Jesus, we're so brave. Then they take him off to the cross and they're like, weren't you with him? <laughs> no. It's funny that you'd say that. Because I wasn't. And then he is laid in the tomb. And they're in the upper room where this bold proclamation of, take and eat, this is my body, this is my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this. And they're up there going. You know? And they're hiding. Because we remember... The Bible isn't about brave apostles. It's about Jesus. Four brave apostles. <laughs> Four brave apostles. By the way, I'm not going to pick on them too much because all but one of them died for their faith. So I'm done picking on them. But the truth of the matter is, those who are hiding behind locked doors, he came to them and didn't go, What is wrong with you? What about the Great Commission? He said to them, Rather, Peace. I'm bringing you peace. Irene. I'm bringing you peace. One word. He shows them his pierced hands. And then again he speaks that word. Irene. Peace. Notice how Jesus very plainly, very clearly ties together God's peace and Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. In fact, they can never be separated, beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden. God speaks his promise of redemption. That redemptive promise 
because Adam and Eve were such great people? No, not in my Bible anyway. If your Bible says differently, I'd like to see you after church. Because he didn't speak redemption and hope to Adam and Eve because they deserved it. He spoke it to them because they needed it. There's a big difference. So he speaks this promise of redemption and to Eve, he says, and, and that will crush from her will come the one that will crush the head of the wicked servant. And from that point on, all men are saved through grace, through faith. Only alone in Jesus Christ can you have these promises. Only through Jesus Christ are these means of grace even made available. Only through Jesus Christ can any of us in our old Adams who are going, well, look at me, I'm not sufficient. But you go, but my Savior is. And his works are good enough because they were for me. The devil wants to talk you out of that. And from that point on, all those in the Old Testament looking forward in faith to the coming Messiah, and all of you on this side of the cross looking back in faith to the serpent-crushing, all-atoning death and resurrection of the gospel made flesh, peace. The singular, all-sufficient peace that surpasses all understanding. But here's the thing. Yeah, you didn't know this. I know you know all this. My job isn't to come here every Sunday and tell you something new. Because I don't frankly have anything new. Thank God. You know that God is all sufficient. But do you really believe it? That's why I say the same thing over and over. Careful before answering because the fruits you bear in everyday life may contradict your confession. Is God's word all sufficient? Yes. Is God's word all sufficient in every situation and in every circumstance? Yes. Is God's word all sufficient for you? Well, those are the people I usually get. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete. You're going, except when, da, da, da. Wrong. God makes you sufficiently complete by the means of his word and his sacraments, by his means of grace. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Jesus Christ, Dominus Es. We have cool Latin phrases all over our Lutheran banners to say cool stuff like grace alone. Let me speak plainly. Grace alone, faith alone, Scripture alone. Jesus Christ is Lord. So when Jesus makes a promise in the Scriptures, we go, yes! Christ himself commands, make disciples of all nations by baptizing and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Teach his word according to Jesus. The word of God 
is the all-sufficient for the church, for salvation. We don't need anything besides the Bible to get our stuff that we've got. Even if you look at our hymns, even though they go, hey, this hymnal is not the Bible. You read these hymns, they're like, somebody's read the Bible. Those are really good hymns. And yet, so often our old Adam pushes us over to this side of the ditch, doesn't he? God's word never really seems to feel enough. Because I don't think God knew that I would be dot, dot, dot in my life. Any of you ever been there? You don't have to tell me. Because I know you would. I know you are. You've been there. I'm not going to belabor the point a lot. (laughs) Suffice to say that churches struggle with this all the time. Be it budget matters. Attendance matters. Doctrinal matters. What about the children? (laughs) So many rewards for you after church. No church will ever come right out and say God's word is insufficient, but they will unashamedly practice it. They will unashamedly say God's word plus dot, dot, dot. We need something more, something different, something hip, something the kids will like. Something for the young people, like folk music. Sorry, I'm old enough. (laughs) Jesus declared, it is finished. And yet it continues to be taught, you now need to do your part. You're baptized. Jesus did the part. You have the Holy Spirit. I guess Christ's own word isn't sufficient enough. It's so insufficient. Heck, we don't even always show up to church to hear it. Meh, it's not sufficient. I'll sleep in. If we're honest, and let's try to be, we'll confess that you struggle with this in your individual lives. Again, I won't belabor the point too much, because I don't need to too much. But look in the mirror. The fact is that we're all guilty of treating God's word and his means of grace as somehow insufficient, impotent, unable to do all that you want it to do. We don't feel happy, so something must be wrong. You ever been there? I don't feel happy. Maybe I'm not as filled with Jesus today. Ugh. Can't hear that too many times. Something must be wrong. The insufficiency must be on God's part, right? (laughs) God's not really with me all the way today. Maybe God is partially phoning it in. God knows I don't mean that. Our contradictory fruits and unfaithfulness is witnessed in how we approach such things as sexuality, teenage promiscuity, lying, everything we talked about. Hold on a second, VBS this week. Pick a commandment and we kick it right in the gut. 
pick a commandment, rip it, tear it, punch it. And if you don't think you do, you need Christ more than you ever knew. You say God's word isn't enough. It won't work. God's word is all sufficient until it comes matters such as social security, health care, prescription, gas prices, the cost of this, whatever the government is doing, whatever the news says, whatever, whatever, whatever. Till it comes to matters. Look at the birds of the air, he will say. Look at the lilies of the field. Seek first the kingdom of God. Yeah, but... God, you don't understand. Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, but... God, you don't understand. I've said enough on this. Sufficient. Repent. So, the same way I began, I'll end. Directing you to the all-sufficiency of Christ's all-redeeming sacrifice pointing you to how God has baptized you into this all-sufficient sacrifice and written your name not in pencil but in pen in the book of life, made you all-sufficient for everlasting salvation. We are not great in ourselves to claim anything coming from us, but our greatness comes from God. We are not worthy in ourselves to claim anything coming from us because our worthiness comes from God. I point you not to your utterly insufficient selves, but to God. I point you to Emmanuel, God with us in our midst, in our work, and in our lives for our good and for our salvation. And we look to this font which I love to keep right here. Some churches put them all the way in the back. Some churches kind of hide them off in the corner and they're like, <laughs> but it's right here, front and center. Because before we even approach this altar, we approach them as one baptized. That's why so many churches, and I love to do this during the seasons when we have our beautiful Christmas tree, I'll put it back out there because we don't even enter the church apart from baptism. It's a great thing to see. Who knew a wooden thing with a large popcorn bowl in it could be so holy? But it's not the bowl. It's not the wooden thing. It's the water and God's word. That's where the promises lie. Not 50 gallons, not two ounces, but the word of God and the water. That font is where Christ has made you his own, where he himself has made you great, made you worthy. Look to this rail where your Lord kneels down from heaven to nourish you with his own death-defeating, life-giving body and blood. That's why we have these classes on it. That's why we teach you about it, because it's important. And not just bloop, 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 bloop. It's important. So we teach it. It's harder, agreed, to teach 
and preach, but it's right. Ephaphata, may your ears be open to hear the gospel reality of God's Christ-centered means of grace and absolution for you. Saints, fellow baptized, if all this isn't all sufficient for you, for your joy, for your peace, for your blessed assurance, then you really don't get what's going on here and a great reversal really needs to take place within you, a repenting, a turning away. But here's the thing. God is all-sufficient in Christ Jesus. He accomplishes his will and it never returns to him void or empty. That great and repentant reversal can and will be brought about only by the all-sufficient word of God and the working of the Holy Spirit in that word. So I'm going to leave it to him, confident that he is working all things for the good of those who love him. And may this law and gospel seed that has now been sown take root in your heart and spring up to bear abundant fruit that is in keeping with repentance. May the all-sufficiency of God's grace and mercy in Christ be all-sufficient for you. And may this same divine grace, mercy, and favor give you his all-sufficient peace and joy, no matter the circumstance in now and in eternity. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and your minds in the one true faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.